The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, we're going to get into our last passage in Jeremiah in just a minute, but there's a couple of things I want to do first. Um, The first thing is that I want to actually apologize for something that I did last week. Um, If you were here last week, you may remember that uh, Bethany's band, Corridan, did the song, Just As I Am, right before the sermon, and uh, she introduced it by saying she'd like to do this song and and kind of remember the people who recently have... uh, committed suicide due to bullying and that kind of thing. And um, I was not in the room when she said that <laughs> and didn't realize that I, did, I hadn't noticed how affected she was by just thinking about that. And so when I came up to start the sermon, I sort of made some offhanded joke about the song, and I, it was, like, <laughs> incredibly insensitive of me. And uh, I didn't really realize what had been going on because I wasn't paying attention. So I just wanted to apologize. I already have to Bethany, but to all of you too, because that was kind of, uh, not kind of, that was lame of me. Um, and so I certainly uh, heartily support the, uh, the the concept of what Bethany was doing there, and I, I didn't mean to make light of it. In fact, I was totally unaware that I had. Um, so now that that's been said, I would like to ask Liz to come up. And Liz has some really, really cool stuff that she wants to share with us about a trip that she's taking soon, and uh, so give her your attention for a few minutes. Good morning. So a couple years ago, here at Artisan, in December of 2008, we did the Advent Conspiracy, and some of you remember that, and we worked with the Ugandan Water Project, and we raised money to buy two tanks, rainwater collection tanks, for Uganda. And then the money went, and they bought the tanks, and it was really, really cool. So That's a map of Uganda, and I'm going to be going to the red X, but these pictures will slide through, um, just so you know what that is. So these tanks, they're 10,000-liter tanks, and they serve about 500 individuals, about 100 families, and they last for about 30 to 35 years, and they cost $3,500, which is really great because wells cost between eight to $10,000, and it's a lot easier sometimes in some places to raise money for one of these rainwater collection tanks. And they're attached to a building in the community. And when it rains, because it rains there periodically throughout the year, um, it, there's a gutter system to the tank. And so it's, <clears throat> it's a pretty good system they have. And the tanks are also um, made in Uganda. So they're supporting the economy of Uganda, and they're helping bring the community together to bring clean water. Um, there's a picture up here that you'll see again of the little girls, and that's them just getting water out of the well, or one of the local um, water hole for their day. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't ever want to swim in that water, much less drink it and uh, cook with it. So we did that a couple years ago, and then... Um, last year at my school where I teach, the Charles Finney School, 
the Ugandan Water Project came in and spoke, and then over the summer we talked with them, and we've decided that we want to do this also at school, and we're going to raise money for a tank. And they have trips that go a couple times a year, and so we want to send a couple students. And to send a couple students, then we also need some chaperones. So I signed up right away because I'm very excited. I wanted to go back when Artisan did it, and God's timing has made it now. So we're going to be going this coming February. <clears throat> and the tank that the school is buying is going to go into a town called Kasarbiti, which is where that big red X was. I did that in paint. Did you like that? It was very... Yep. And uh, we're going to... Um, be connected with the school there, which is called True Life Christian School. And it's very exciting because one of the things that the Ugandan Water Project does is they try to not only build, um, raise money for these tanks, but they also want to build connections between communities and organizations here in America and then at these places in Uganda. So <clears throat> when I go over in February, we're going to go to Kasarbiti and I'm going to meet these people at the school and it's really exciting. But because I go to Artisan, and we have already purchased some tanks, we're going to go to one or two of the villages that we went to, that our tanks went to, and the names of those villages are Katangole and Kisuba. I can't pronounce Ugandan very well, but I'll, I'll be much better when I come back in February. Um, and so some of these pictures, that picture right there, if you look, the gentleman all the way to the left is Pastor Jonathan, and that's the pastor of the main church there, and then in Katangale, the pastor is um, Pastor Nathan, and he's the one with the goat in these pictures. And he gave James a goat, so that was really generous of him. I've never gotten a goat before, so I'm a little jealous. Um, so I'm going to go and do that, and one of the goals then is for us as a community here at Artisan to build a connection and a relationship with the church there and with the community there and continue to develop that. And I know down the road... Pastor Scott has mentioned that, you know, we're hopeful to do the Advent Conspiracy again, and we're hopeful to work with Uganda Water Project again. And so this is one step in building up that relationship. There are a couple of things that I need as I go. There are two main ways that I need support from the community that I'm a part of, and one of those is prayer. Prayer is so important and, and one of the most powerful tools, I think, that God has given us. And there's so many things that could go wrong when you go, I don't know, if you realize how close Uganda is to some of the other countries in Africa and the wars that are going on and all of the troops. And if any of you listen to NPR or read the newspaper, you know that it's just there's a lot of volatile things going on on that continent, and Uganda isn't so far from them. Um, and so while it will be safe to go, safety is always, you know, kind of put a question mark in parentheses on that. So prayer for safety. Um, the water there is gross. And so we'll be drinking filtered water, but we'll be eating food from there. And so there's always, you know, illnesses that can happen and all sorts of things that, um, that God can protect against. And so that's what we need prayer for. And the other thing that I need support in is raising money to go. It costs $3,500 to go. And at the school, we really talked about it. If it costs $3,500 for a tank and $3,500 to go, why wouldn't we just buy more tanks? But part of it is building a relationship, and so we want to send some students and some adults over. And that's the same thing here with Artisan. It's more than just here, this is something from us because we have money and we can give it to you. But it's building a relationship with them because, as many of you know, the best way to do ministry, the best way to do evangelism and to reach people about the love of God and Christ is through relationships. And so that's what we want to do is establish those relationships. 
Plus, in my experience, I have found that it's life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing for these students who will be able to go. For the other people from the other churches who are going to be a part of this trip in February, it's going to be life-changing for this side of it, for the American side, to go over there. But it's life-changing for them. It's life-changing for the communities in Uganda because they are going to be getting clean drinking water. They're going to be, have something in their community that's going to draw them together, and that absolutely will change their life. So I'm really excited. I have two things that you can come talk to me after the service. I have a letter that has information, more specifics about the trip, what we're going to be doing, um, how the Ugandan Water Project works. And then I also have a sheet that I made up that has some more pictures and a little bit of information on the two tanks that Artisan has already bought and the villages and where they went. So I have a couple of these if you want to come grab them. So I'm really excited. I was talking with Pastor Scott sometimes. I get a little bit too excited, and uh, so I've contained myself today. But, um, so, thanks. Thank you, Liz. Yeah, make sure that you um, talk to Liz after the service. Uh, you know, this, the work that we did a couple years ago with the Ugandan Water Project is probably the thing, the single thing I'm most proud of that our church has ever done. And uh, so I'm, I couldn't be more pleased that we're continuing that connection and that Liz is being a part of that. So thank you, Liz. And I encourage all of you to give generously and to support Liz and support the Ugandan Water Project. And so talk with her afterward. Well, um, I don't know about you, but whenever my wife and I go to a party, um, I'm the one who, uh, who says in the car on the way there, now we're just going to stop in and say hi, and then we're going to leave. <laughs> um, and Tracy is more of an extrovert than I am, and she says, well, okay, maybe, you know. And uh, she's, she's very friendly, and, and people tend to like her, and she tends to like people. And, and so she wants to stay among them, which is really weird to me. But <laughs> I'm the one who says, listen, we're going to get in and out. <laughs> we're going to make our appearance. You know, that's it. You know, and then somebody offers to take my coat, and, and what do I say? No, thank you. We can't stay. No, thanks. We can't stay. I actually hear that same thing occasionally after church when we invite all of you to stay for coffee and conversation and to hang out. And I'll, I'll, I'll see maybe, maybe a newcomer, maybe a first-time visitor, and I'll say, hey, it's nice to meet you. Are you going to hang out and, and have some coffee? And they say, no, sorry, we can't stay, um, which usually means that I'm never going to see them again. Um, but, but, and that's okay. Not everybody's going to make, you know, make an instant connection here. But, and I would do the same thing, by the way, if I were visiting a church. I would, I would use my magic phrase, no, sorry, I can't stay. Um, afterward, I wouldn't stick around, at least the first time. <laughs> you know, and you, you hear a similar phrase sometimes. You ever, I don't know if anybody watches romantic comedies. Um, I don't, but apparently they're very popular. Um, <laughs> There's, and there's always that scene, right, where the, uh, the, they're on the date, right, the first date, and then they get home, and one of them invites the other one up for coffee, and it really hasn't gone well, and that person's hoping for, you know, more of a connection, and the other person says, no, sorry, I, I can't, I can't stay. I have work in the morning, or whatever it would be. And if you think about it, that expression, no thanks, I can't stay, 
it's really, it's a defense mechanism, very often. It's a, it's a way of keeping people at arm's length. It's a way of saying, essentially, in a polite way, I don't actually care for any more intimacy than, than what we have right now. That's going to be enough for me. You know, and that, uh, that, that desire to avoid being close to people and close to things actually seems to extend to other areas of life sometimes, doesn't it? You know, maybe it's, it's not just a relationship. Maybe it's actually your job, you know. You, you took this job because you had to take a job, but you really are hoping that you really can't stay because you're going to get something better. Or uh, maybe you're a college student and you're here in Rochester and, and uh, you are from a warm climate or something like that. And you're thinking, uh, <laughs> frost? Yeah, I can't stay. I'm going to get my degree and get out of here. Maybe you've worked here for, moved here for work and, and you're thinking, well, where are the other branches my company has around the country? Because I can't stay here. <laughs> For whatever reason, you may, not, you may not quite feel at home in a given situation or with a given person. And, and so you have that defense mechanism that says, no, I can't stay. I had that exact feeling when I lived in Las Vegas. As many of you know, my, my wife and I moved to Las Vegas uh, 20 days after we got married and um, didn't have any family there or anything. And... and um, you know, I loved the work that we were doing there, and I met some great people, but there was always a feeling of, I can't stay, <laughs> especially in July. You know, I like the frost, to give you an indication of how I'd feel about 115. And we had this friend there who's a realtor. Now, all of us have a friend who's a realtor, right? Some of you probably are. <laughs> if you can't spot the friend who's the realtor, you are the friend who's the realtor. <laughs> but... Right, and, and they're always like, they always want you to buy a house, right, or another house, right? I've got all kinds of houses you could buy, Scott. This guy, this realtor friend, was constantly trying to get us to buy a house in Las Vegas, and we, we were renting, and that's exactly what I told him. No, I'm sorry, we can't stay. <laughs> uh, and as you know, uh, here I am, you know, we didn't, we didn't stay f- forever, well, we've talked a lot about the place that the Hebrew people were in during the, prime, the time of the prophet Jeremiah and uh, how the, the, the kingdom had been united for a period of time and then it was divided centuries before the time of Jeremiah into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And we talked about how the northern kingdom had already been conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And uh, we talked a week or two ago about how Jeremiah was making a prophecy just on the cusp of the southern kingdom of Judah being conquered by the Babylonian Empire. So all the turmoil and and cultural change that happened in the Middle East uh, in the centuries before Christ uh, plays into the story of Israel, the people of God. And so we, we talked about how Jeremiah had been predicting that conquest uh, by the Babylonian Empire over and over and over again to the point that the king, the, the Hebrew king, the, the Judean king Zedekiah, had locked him in the palace court and said, if you can't shut up, I will shut you up. And today's passage is a letter, a letter that Jeremiah wrote. He wrote it to some of the people 
who were already in exile in Babylon. Now, Babylon had not yet conquered the, the city of Jerusalem. They had not taken Jerusalem. Uh, but they had captured several key leaders in the Judean uh, monarchy. They'd captured some priests and some prophets and some leaders, and they had taken them away to Babylon, and they were in exile already. This was a precursor to what was going to happen to the entire nation very soon. And so these, these other prophets that had been captured, they were false prophets according to Jeremiah, had been telling all the other exiles, don't worry, we can't stay. <laughs> we're not going to stay. God is going to deliver us from exile very soon. Don't get too comfortable here in exile. And Jeremiah's letter offers a fairly startling rebuttal to that line of thinking. And so let's look at it together. This is from Jeremiah 29, and it starts on page 638. If you're using a red Bible, which is underneath your chair, if you're bringing your own Bible from home, it's just a little bit past halfway. By the way, if you don't have a Bible at home, you're always welcome to take one of these red Bibles to keep. We have plenty of them to go around. And uh, if you want to bring one, give them to a friend or something like that, you can always do that too. We're going to read verse 1 and then verses 4 through 7. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, who was the Babylonian king, had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Skip to verse 4. This is what the letter said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So those of you who are old-time artisans recognize this passage, don't you? You've heard us preach on this passage and talk about this passage over and over and over again, maybe to the point where you'd like to lock us in a palace court <laughs> so you don't have to hear it anymore. We often say that Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7 is Artisan Church's life verse. Maybe it's nice to actually hear it in context now. Um, and I swear that we didn't just stick this on at the end of the series. It, we, we wanted to do six weeks in Jeremiah, and the lectionary called for this very passage on the last week, which is kind of cool. And so we need to ask ourselves the same question that we've been asking throughout this series, which is, what does it mean? And, it, you know... The, <laughs> uh -uh. That is a really nerdy inside joke. <laughs> From the very first week of this series, we've been talking about how there isn't necessarily a one-to-one -one relationship 
between what's happening at the, in the people of God at the time of Jeremiah and what's happening to us who are following Jesus now. And so we have to figure out how to, how to apply this stuff in a way that makes sense and that's true to what the text says but doesn't impose uh, a relationship that doesn't actually exist. And so I want to look at this passage in two different ways this morning. The first thing I want to do is talk about the cultural aspect of it. Uh, what might Jeremiah be saying to the church in America? Now, again, it's not, there's not going to be a direct thread, but what, we can, what can we take away from it? And secondly, I want to talk about what this, this little letter that Jeremiah wrote might mean to us as individuals, as, as persons of faith, wherever we may find ourselves, whether we're here in Rochester uh, and live here and have all our lives, or whether we're, you know, there's people who listen to this podcast all around the world. Um, and so what does it mean to us as individual persons of faith? Those are the two things I want to talk about. The first one is the cultural thing. Now, I, I would say that within American Christianity, there's often a tendency toward a little bit of a culture war. Have you noticed this? No. <laughs> no. We have a little bit, at times, an us-against-them, good-versus-evil, same thing, battle that we want to wage. And we want to stamp out sin in the world, whatever it might be, or we want to change America for God. We want to take back our country to its roots, or however we might say that. Now, as always, almost always anyway, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the moderate space here. Like, I actually think there are things culturally going on in America that are in direct contradiction to what we believe as Christians and things that we ought to work to change. My list may not be the same list that, that you have in your mind, but I think that actually the church ought to be involved in, in doing works towards social change uh, of all kinds of different things. But I think what Jeremiah is saying, and what I think sometimes the American church probably needs to hear, is that the way to do this is not with violence. It is not with the sword. And you know violence can take all kinds of different forms. We, we, don't, have to, we don't have to be wielding a weapon or, or clenching a fist to be doing acts of violence in our efforts to change the world around us. I think you know what I'm talking about. Because if you think about it, do you think that there's anything going on in Babylon that these devout Jews would have been opposed to? <laughs> Only everything. Gentiles all around. Idolatry. Fertility cults. Foreigners. Unclean ceremonial, unclean, everywhere they looked. Everything that God's people had always known to shun and to condemn, at the very least to avoid at all costs, was now suddenly in front of their face 24-7, 365. And Jeremiah's counsel to them was not, you know, Get out your picket signs and your megaphones and walk over to that temple where they're worshiping idols and you tell them where they're going. 
And his advice was not, take up arms, because we are going to be down there in a week or two, and we're going to free you out of there by force. Not at all. His advice was more like, bloom where you're planted. They're in exile in the midst of all that filth. It was what the perspective would have been. And then he said that the best way to influence your culture, that culture that you're surrounded by in Babylon, is to have a family, a big one. Sons and daughters, sons-in-law, daughters-in-law, grandchildren. And to raise them to follow God the way that you've always been taught to do yourself. Which incidentally is extremely practical advice. (laughs) Do you want to know which ideals are going to govern the world 50 years from now? You want to know who's going to win that culture war? I'll give you a hint. It's not the people with the modern Western approach where we're, we're not like achieving fertility replacement rate, okay? We are not the ones who are going to, all us progressive, modern-minded people who are not having any children, we're, we're going to be a tiny minority in a few decades. Um, and so I, that's, I don't want to get down that road. I, I don't want to suggest that we all need to have our own Discovery Channel programs about ourselves where we have 15 children. Um, But that's just just to say, Jeremiah's advice was actually very practical, you know. He has a spiritual component, which we'll get to as well, but he's basically saying, you're going to influence your culture by, by increasing the population of the people who are following the one true God. That must have been a really counterintuitive idea for those Jews who'd been captured by force and taken to Babylon, not to rail against the sin and corruption that they saw all around them. And so it may be for us today. You can pick your hot-button issue, political or moral or otherwise, the one that you care the most about. And imagine the church failing to do anything about that failing to act outwardly in a way that seeks to bring an end to that. Now, some of you are thinking about, like, the most hardcore Republican issue, and some of you are thinking about the most hardcore Democrat issue, so I don't want this to be a political discussion. As I've said many times, I think if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to stop following the chairman of the GOP or the chairman of the DNC, because they are, one of them is always going to be in disagreement with Jesus somewhere. <laughs> now, this is not a political sermon at all. But imagine the church failing to act on whatever that issue is, failing to step out. That's kind of hard. That's counterintuitive. But if you think about it, isn't the, uh, the gardening in Babylon approach, which is, which is the little catchphrase that we've tossed around sometimes about what Jeremiah told these people to do, build houses and plant gardens, isn't that approach much more in line with the teachings of Jesus himself? who time and time again reached out to the leprous, to the unclean, to the corrupt, the tax collectors, to the fornicators, 
not in order to condemn them, but in order to love them. And the very Jesus who said that all the law and all the teachings of the prophets hang on the two great commandments, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor the way you love yourself. And so I think that the church might want to consider getting out of the business of cultural war-making and into the business of, of community building, of raising families who, who love God and who live in neighborhoods that are surrounded by people whom they can love the way they love themselves. And I think the most spiritual thing that Jeremiah says in this letter is the, the, the very end. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile, because in its welfare you will find what? Your welfare. And so that's our cultural application of this passage. And I also promised an individual application, and I think this one's a little bit less contentious, so uh, that's good. But when we're thinking about applying this to ourselves as individual persons of faith, I simply want to ask something of, of all of you, but maybe particularly those of you who are transient. You know, I mentioned some of you before. We have a lot of people here at Artisan who are college students, who are uh, medical residents, who are grad students, who are here on a job share, or any number of things. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm just I'm thrilled that people feel like they can find a sanctuary here spiritually and where this can be a place where, where you can connect with God and with each other, um, even knowing that you're not going to be here forever. I love that about Artisan. That we're, we're a place where people really honestly can say, I'm sorry, I can't stay. And yet they still can feel connected. But I want to say to all of you who are in that boat, and really to all of us, because, you know, don't we all want to avoid the risk of a little too much permanence in our lives sometimes? Don't be afraid to put down roots while you're here. Whatever that may look like. Now, I don't want this to seem like too much of a... I don't want to spiritualize this too much and say that God insists that you buy a house while you're here. Um, or God says you have to settle down right away and have a family. None of that is where I'm, I'm going. I simply want to suggest that you know this. I just remind you that you never quite know how things are going to go. You can never quite tell how something is going to end. You may think you're going to leave, and then you don't. You may think you're going to stay, and then you don't. Knowing that, that life is not guaranteed to go the way we think it will, I think the best bet while you're here in Babylon, and believe me, it's <laughs> come December, January, it's going to feel, you're going to wish you were <laughs> in captivity in the Middle East somewhere. Be as connected as you can while you're here, as active in your church as you possibly can be, as active in your city and in your neighborhood or at your college as you can possibly be. Don't be afraid to put down roots. And if you are a little skittish about putting down roots, imagine how the Hebrew people who received Jeremiah's letter must have felt about putting down roots where they were. 
And yet that was God's call on their life. Now, in that particular case, Jeremiah had been telling them that they were going to be in exile for 70 years, and so they needed to not listen to those other prophets. So there's kind of a, he had his own little political angle going on. But even stripping that away, I think it's important for us to become people who are rooted in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and in our churches. And I love that all of you are in this particular one. <laughs> because I think that that one central spiritual truth is crucially important. And it's as true today for us here in Rochester as it was for the Babylonians in exile, that you need to seek the welfare of your city or your town or your campus because in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Let's pray. God, thank you for the words of the prophet Jeremiah that we've been engaged with these past six weeks. And thank you for this letter, these words that have meant so much in the history and development of Artisan Church. Thank you for putting them in our hearts years ago. And thank you for this reminder today that you've called us to be people who seek the welfare of our city, who do build houses and plant gardens and have families and put down roots. And uh, we pray that you give us the courage to uh, engage with people and places in ways that maybe stretch our comfort just a little bit. And we pray that you'd give us grace in our relationships as we grow closer to one another and closer to the place where we live, uh, that all the warts and faults that we are inevitably going to find and in which in, in, and people are inevitably going to find in us uh, would be showered with your grace and that we'd be able to work past those things and past our disagreements and, and uh, seek the welfare of our city. And we pray that as we earnestly try to obey your call to seek the welfare of the place that you've put us, that your work would be done in and through us and around us in ways that none of us could deny. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. It's now our sacred privilege to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. All who humbly put their trust in Christ and desire his help that they may lead a holy life. All who are truly sorry for their sins and would be delivered from them. All who would walk in love with their neighbors and intend to live a new life, following the commandments of God and walking from now on in his holy ways, are invited to draw near with faith and to receive this holy sacrament. Come to this sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit.
Is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Is not the cup that we bless a participation in the blood of Christ? The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Come as the Lord calls you. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.